Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everyone, welcome to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development, which includes physical, intellectual, social, emotional, emotional, and moral, so parents can empower their children to thrive. So today, uh, we have a Brains and Toyland segment, and it regards feeding development in children. And we're calling the segment Feeding 101, What the Baby Food Jars Don't Tell You. And we have Diane Barr, who is a speech-language pathologist and a pediatric feeding specialist, and she's here to share some really great information with us all. So welcome, Diane. And, uh, will hi, you tell us, uh, I'm here. Hi, will you tell us who you are <laughs> and what you do? Okay, I'm a speech-language pathologist with about 35 years of experience. I have special training in feeding. I've been doing feeding therapy since 1983. I've authored two books, Oral Motor Assessment and Treatment Ages and Stages, which is a textbook, and then the one that we're going to be referring to today called Nobody Ever Told Me or My Mother That, Everything from Bottles and Breathing, to Healthy Speech Development. This is a book I wrote for professionals and especially for parents because I realized that parents do not have the information that we as feeding therapists have. I've taught undergraduate, graduate, continuing education, and parent education courses. And I'm also the co-owner of Ages and Stages, Resources for Feeding, Speech, and Mouth Function. At Ages and Stages, our mission is to provide the best possible feeding, speech, and mouth development information for parents, families, and professionals. Our goal is to prevent feeding, speech, and mouth development problems when possible by helping parents to keep their children on track developmentally in feeding, speech, and mouth development. So I guess a big thing I'd like to point out to our audience is that your book that nobody ever told me or my mother that um, it's really for also for parents of typically developing children so they know what they can do at each stage uh, through development to make sure that they thrive and develop feeding and eating behaviors that are um, healthy and robust. That's correct. In the book, I put a whole bunch of charts. It's, it's not a cover-to-cover cover read. It's really something that a parent can just pick up, look up what they want at a certain stage for feeding or speech or mouth development, and then kind of check off to see if their children have that. If not, then it gives instruction to parents in what to do. Okay, great. So I would yeah. imagine, especially new parents, have lots of questions. Um, and so as from a feeding perspective, what do you find is a common question that parents often ask about? Well, so many times parents ask me, when can I feed my child regular foods and how much do I feed them? Because parents really aren't given instruction in this. So they go to the grocery store, they start reading the baby food jars or products, and they try to figure out what to do. So that is probably the biggest question I get. Okay, and then we, we've got questions where we, are, we will answer um, those questions for parents, but right. let's start maybe talking with things that parents are often surprised to learn about in terms of their, their child's feeding development. Well, parents are often surprised that children can eat regular foods much earlier than the baby food jars or products recommend. So there's this information out there on the product, but it's not necessarily accurate. And we know this from developmental research with typically developing kids. Um, another thing is baby food, particularly stage one baby food, contains mostly water. It's about 75 to 85% water. And that's very good for nutrition. I mean, sorry, wrong, erase that. Very good for hydration, but not necessarily so good for nutrition. 
Um, also, children who aren't introduced to appropriate food tastes and textures on time often are our children that become picky eaters. And we see a lot of typically developing children that end up with feeding therapy because they are picky eaters. Um, another surprise is that children frequently don't seem to like food the first time they experience it. So parents think they're going to feed it to a child. It might be really yummy, you know, for the parent. And then the parent will, then the child will, child will reject the food. And it takes about 10 to 15 presentations of a food sometimes for a child to um, really start to enjoy it. Um, I, the last surprise I have here for parents is that children need to see others eat and drink. Um, it, this should be maybe common sense, but because parents are so busy and they need to feed their children at first, often children are fed in isolation and they're not seeing others eat and drink. And children are are modeling what we do, so they need to see that. Right. Okay. Oh, that's a really good one. <laughs> that's yes. a good one. So let's, <laughs> let's um, now I'm a speech pathologist uh, like Diane, but speech has the physical component and language is the more cognitive component. And Diane, within the physical component, we also have feeding specialists. So that's where Diane comes in. So I'm actually really learning tremendously from talking with Diane. And I think what it shows for this program is that it's good for parents, but also related professionals. <laughs> so I really appreciate well, thank um, you. all you, you can share with us. So thank let's you. maybe now... Yeah, sure. Let's give um, the audience some perspective on what they should expect developmentally as children grow um, across the first year of life. There, it, there's things to consider past that first year, but since there's so much, today we're just going to cover birth to 12 months. So why don't you talk about that? Okay. Um, a lot of times parents really aren't in tune with the fact, and even professionals like yourself who may not be trained in feeding. Um, if you haven't been trained to look specifically at what's happening in that first year, you might actually miss it. Um, feeding development evolves in three-month periods. This starts at birth and goes to 24 months. By 24 months, the child should be eating and drinking pretty much like you and I do. And there's a lot that happens in that first two years. And we'll, as you said, we'll cover the first year. I'm going to tell you about some milestones that are in my parent book, and we'll go in those three-month periods. So from birth to three months, let's just think of a baby does, has this rooting response where the baby moves the head and the mouth to find the breast. Anybody who's breastfed, any mom who's breastfed knows what this rooting response is. Um, and that's how the baby gets to the source uh, of the food. Then this can also happen with a bottle if a parent is using something like paste bottle feeding. So it's kind of reflexive that the baby goes to feed. Um, paste bottle feeding is a more natural way of feeding that many people are using these days that kind of simulates what we do with the breast, even though they, bottle feeding and breastfeeding are very different processes. Um, the baby's fed breast milk and or formula, depending on what the pediatrician and the parents are deciding to do. Um, then the baby during this period moves from, from these reflexes to a more purposeful um, movement of the mouth. So they start with a reflexive suckle and then move during this three-month period to a purposeful suck. And we actually do a suck when we're, like, drinking from a straw. And the baby is not drinking from a straw, of course, at three months, but drinking from the bottle or breast and can do up to 20 or more sucks without a pause by three months. During the uh, birth to three-month period, there's a lot of change happening in the mouth, too. And if your child were seeing somebody from the orthotropic community, uh, which is a, a group of dentists that specialize in mouth development, or your child happened to see somebody from the orofacial myofunctional community, there's a lot of talk about the growth in the mouth that's happening at this time, and it often goes unnoticed. Um, it's through the feeding experiences and the mouthing experiences the child does with the hands and the fingers during this time that the mouth is shaped. 
And, um, for example, um, with breastfeeding, when the breast is drawn deeply into the mouth to maintain the hard palate's nice broad shape and keeps the hard palate from going high and narrow. Um, unfortunately, so can you explain to parents of, uh, yeah, why sure. that would be important, yeah. why we like that nice oh, absolutely. broad hard palate? If you just think about the hard palate is the roof of the mouth. Now, it's soft in a baby. So if the hard palate goes high and narrow, what's above the roof of the mouth? The nasal areas. If the hard palate goes high and narrow, which we often unfortunately see in in many of our bottle-fed babies um, where we don't keep the palate spread, and there are ways, we we don't have time to get into it, there are ways for bottle-fed babies to keep the palate spread. But... If the palate goes high and narrow, it goes into this nasal area, which changes the shape of the nasal area, makes it smaller and more difficult to breathe through the nose. These are often children who end up in orthodontic work later on. And they, you know, you've heard about palatal expansion. They're the ones that often need to have their palate spread. And this is happening in that first three months. Um, So that's one reason I wanted parents tuned in to their feeding methods during that time. Right. Okay. Okay. So then how about um, how about that three- to six-month period? Okay. During the three- to six-month period, you see less of the reflexes. Uh, the child is gaining more control over feeding, so you see less of the rooting. Uh, and the baby actually develops something called a three-dimensional suck which is more mature, more like what we use. And what a three-dimensional suck is, the tongue has a nice bowl shape. So if you think of a bowl, okay, um, so it's cupped and the sides are up and the tip of the tongue starts to come up, which we'll eventually use in our mature swallow. The lips are puckered and the cheeks and jaw muscles begin to do the work of what the sucking pads were were doing. So if you've ever played with a baby from birth, you know a a full-term baby has these big pads of fat in their cheeks. And so you can barely get your finger inside their cheek area. But by this three- to six-month period, I mean in this three- to six-month period, especially four- to six-months, Babies are doing a lot more mouthing. They're starting to bite on toys and things, and they're, they are really getting ready for foods. Their digestive system's getting ready for foods. Their mouth is getting ready for foods, and those sucking pads start to go away. So the, the jaw and the cheeks start to take their place. Mm-hmm. And how about, um, what about their digestive systems? How, how does that come into play in Right, that's kind of where we've gotten into trouble with our baby foods, I think, um, in terms of the labeling on them and, and, you know, baby foods maybe not pointing parents in the right direction. We used to give babies food starting at three months. You know, people started with cereal and all of that. Now, depending on the pediatrician, babies will start with foods, uh, first foods, uh, between four and six months and many times not until six months. So, And the re- whole reason was uh, to give the babies time for their digestive systems to mature. I mean, the thought was that, and I don't know um, where to tell you to find the research, but I know that pediatricians, there must be research because they changed their recommendations from starting foods at three months to four to six months, and oftentimes at the six-month level because of the digestive system uh, maturation. Okay. Um, what about, um, is this about the time we might see some teeth coming in as well? Absolutely. Teeth come in, you know, at five to six months. Now, I don't want parents, if you're listening to this, to get upset if your child isn't getting those first teeth at five to six months. Some children uh, have their teeth come in a little bit later. In my book, I put a range uh, based on the information from the dental literature. Uh, But, yes, teeth are coming in, and a lot of times parents are concerned. We're going to talk in a minute about the six- to nine-month period. They're concerned about introducing foods because babies don't have teeth, but really the way babies get teeth 
is through a lot of chewing and biting and experience with appropriate foods and mouth toys. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Very good. Um, so then I guess that's a, the the general info on the three to six month period. How about that next period of, um, I guess, it's okay. six to nine months? This is a really big one because uh, during the six to nine month period, this is when you can be introducing your baby to all kinds of uh, mature feeding experiences. Carefully, one thing at a time. We don't want to overwhelm the parent or the baby, but this is the time when spoons, open cups, straws, taking bites of appropriate foods, and chewing are really best introduced. One of the problems parents are running into is they're getting stuck with especially stage one foods and even stage two foods, uh, you know, in the baby food jars. And children aren't getting the experiences with the different utensils and the different textures. And parents just don't know, and they're afraid to move ahead. So let's talk about some things in that period, that six- to nine-month period. You know what? Um, I wanted to chime in here for one second because that's a really interesting point you make where they're not getting experience with different utensils, different tools. Um, There's a similar similar, uh, phenomenon uh, called the container baby syndrome. Uh, We had a show a few weeks ago with an occupational therapist, and technology has done some wonders where we have – um, little um, seats we can put children in that go from the stroller to the car to someplace else, and the child never has to leave that container. So they're always right. in a container, and they that right. has an influence on their development. So they're not sitting in different positions and having their body and gravity um, work against their muscles in different ways and, and being with different people. So I'm yeah. just seeing a parallel now on a different part of motor development because feeding – is a is a is a motor development too, um, like yeah. the occupational therapy issues or um, those fine motor and general muscle issues. So I'm just seeing yeah. a parallel. Um, and part of what we yeah. want to do on the show is make connections between all these different areas of development. So um, right, yes, get them using different utensils, sitting in different positions, and such. But yeah, okay. And, so and the thing is, mm-hmm, go ahead. if they don't have good body development, they're not going to get good mouth development. I mean, that's also based on research. You have to have good movement patterns in the, you know, the trunk and the shoulder girdle and the hip and all of that. And you're not going to get that if a child is constantly in what we call flexion, sitting in, you know, those kinds of seats. So absolutely. Okay, great. Um, So I don't want to, I didn't mean to derail you, but you were about to say something else? Sure. Uh, We're still in the six- to nine-month period, and back to that first question that parents often ask me, you know, how do I introduce foods? Well, you introduce foods, uh, new foods, one food at a time, and you watch for any reactions that the child might have. So if you're somewhere in that four- to six-months, your pediatrician tells you, go ahead and start foods, start one safe food at a time, and I'll tell you what safe foods are for that period in a minute, and you watch for a reaction. You usually introduce foods once every three to four days if you don't have any reactions, meaning like wheezing, sneezing, coughing, stomach pain, reflux, belching, diarrhea, or rash, because here's where we're looking to see if the food is agreeing with the body and that, you know, there aren't any sensitivities. If you don't see any of these things, you introduce your food, and then you go to another food in three or four days, usually about every four days. And I have this all spelled out in the book for the parents, so they can just kind of follow the plan. The other thing is parents ask, how much do I feed my child? You know, because you've got baby food jars, which I told you have a lot of water in them. But the rule of thumb when you're giving soft foods, and we're going to go over, you'll start with your, you can start with your own pureed foods, your own mashed foods, you know, as the child is developing during this period. The rule of thumb is one tablespoon per year of age. So if you have a six-month-old, for every food group we're going to talk about here in just a second, it would just be a half of a tablespoon okay, for each of these food groups and the number of servings. So um, one tablespoon per year of age for the recommended number of servings 
And depending on the food guidelines you're using, uh, you might be giving six servings of grain, okay? So for a six-month-old, that's going to be non-wheat baby cereal, um, five servings of fruits and vegetables. And I'm not talking about jars. I'm talking about that half a tablespoon. Uh, two servings of meat or protein and two to three servings of dairy once your child can have dairy. And that's going to be a while. That won't be till about 12 months of age. During the six to nine month period, here are some of the skills babies have um, that you know most people don't notice because they just don't know to look for them. Um, babies open their mouths at six to nine months just enough for the spoon to enter. So no wide flinging of the mouth. They start to use their upper lip to clear the spoon. So you don't need to, if you were feeding a three-month-old, you might scrape the food off onto the gum or the lip. But by the time they're six months, you can put the spoon in level and just let that child close the lip. And at eight months, that upper lip is really clearing the spoon. The child can pick up pieces of food with the fist and pass food from one hand to the other. They begin moving the jaw just enough for the shape and size of the food in the mouth. Um, so their jaws are working. Um, they use their lips and cheeks to hold the food in the mouth, and they begin to, keep, to move their tongues toward food. So if there's food over in the side of the mouth, you'll see the tongue kind of rolling over toward the food. And as you pointed out, Teresa, they begin getting teeth during this time. And it's the feeding experiences that are helping with mouth development and helping with tooth development. Then as far as foods are concerned, during six to nine months, this is when parents can introduce milled food, blended food, well-mashed fruits and vegetables with, that are well-cooked, um, no raw at this time. Um, so well-cooked soft foods with soft lumps given from a spoon, baby cereal, wheat-free, wheat-free soft cookies and crackers, cooked sticky rice, and then they can give from an open cup um, and even start to teach their straw drinking during this time, sips of water with very, uh, sips of water, sorry, uh, very diluted fruit and vegetable juices, that's going to be true like forever. We're just not going to give kids juice. It has a lot of sugar in it. It's very potent. Um, so you're going to water down your juices for quite a long time with your children. Um, and those can be given in a straw cup. You can teach straw drinking at this time and an open cup. Seven to ten months, which is kind of falls in this period too, this is where you're going to start chopping your cooked fruits and vegetables. And you can include some canned fruit, but not citrus during this time. You can give the baby uh, soft cheese, mashed cooked beans or tofu. And here's where you're going to introduce your wheat and corn products. But remember, still introducing those kinds of things one at a time, waiting a few days to be sure that it agrees with the baby system. So, Diane, let me ask you, you've mentioned a couple of times up to this point um, not to um, use wheat with the, your children and to avoid the citrus fruits. Um, can you talk a little bit about the rationale behind that? This comes from pediatrics. Um, mm -hmm. So when you look at my book, it has over 500 references. What I did was I went into the literature and I took from the pediatric literature what was recommended in terms of when to introduce the food. And the okay. reason those are you hold off on dairy, wheat, corn, uh, citrus, is, and even yogurt, baby yogurt, you're not going to give till 9 to 12 months. Um, it's, be, again, because of the digestive system, what I understand, um, from okay. the digestive uh, it's because the digestive system needs to mature for those things, to be ready for them. Okay, great. Um, that's like helpful to know. shellfish. You're not mm -hmm. going to give them a shellfish either. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay, yeah. great. So I like to, I think having a rationale also helps parents remember yeah. um, sure. why, to, why to do things and, and, and so forth. So, okay. Did I, make, did I make that clear? Yeah, I think so, and I, I think Good. we could perhaps encourage parents if they um, do um, have 
concerns and questions about uh, wheat products and citrus products, et cetera, that their pediatricians are probably the best source to go to first for information. Yeah, let's say that right up front. No matter what I'm telling you, always defer to your pediatrician. And in my book, that's what I do. Because I've taken, like I said, the information from the best sources I could find. But this is the other thing I feel about parents, and I'm talking to you guys right now, um, as I've been the whole time. But still, parents, please know that you know your children best. And so what I always say as a therapist is really you are the one making the decision with your pediatrician. So please discuss these things with the pediatrician, and then you as a parent make the best informed decision that you can make. Sounds good. Yeah. I trust, I trust parents' judgment. I, I feel that parents know their children best. Yeah, I, I found that as well. I found that as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I think um, that helps there. So why don't we talk about maybe the next stage? Sure. Nine to 12 months. As far as the skills are concerned, um, babies begin to hold and bang spoons at this time, so it's a good time to give the baby a spoon. And there's even these, like, little dipper spoons when, where kids can dip in the food and then kind of suck um, the food off of that little dipper thing. So that's a good time to get them getting this, what we call, hand-mouth connection together and getting them ready for spoon feeding. They begin to pick up small pieces of food with their thumb and their fingers, if the baby puts in a like a soft cookie, not a hard cookie, so many teething biscuits are hard cookies, whereas your arrowroot cookie is a soft cookie. Mum-mums are soft, but they're not really cookies that you can bite into. So as children can have wheat products, for example, during this time, the child can have a soft cracker, a soft cookie. The child can bite into it, and then they tend to break that cookie off with their hands. So they bite, they hold on to it, and they break it off. Um, they begin to move their jaw in an, what we call an increasingly mature manner to match the shape and size of the food in the mouth even better than they did before. Um, and 9 to 12-month-old kids can drink from a straw cup. Here's another problem. When you read the, about the utensils in the grocery store, You'll pick up a straw cup. It looks like the right size for your 9- to 12-month-old. They're now making them smaller, but the age on the straw cup packaging will say two years. Well, if you've taught your child to drink from a straw and you're using a straw cup at this point, um, then use your judgment and get the right size straw cup because we aren't going to talk about sippy cups today, but I think maybe in the future we will at it at another time if Teresa invites me back. But I much prefer straw cups and open cup experiences um, with the open cup held by the adult. So a child can do all of that at this time. Yeah, so preferring nice, you said straw cups and open yep. you, you said you're pref- you prefer straw cups and open cups to sippy cups. Exactly. That was, and open yeah. cups, you're not just going to hand the child an open cup. Starting at six months, and I have it all described in my book, how, exactly how to do it. Um, but starting at six months, you're just going to be giving the child experience drinking from an open cup by you holding the cup and giving them a sip at a time. Um, But by nine to 12 months, you'll be able to hold the open cup with the child. That's a cup with no lid, and then the child will drink swallow after swallow just like you do. Um, So, And it's during that 12-month to 24-month period when they really can learn to manage the open cups on their own. But straw cups are a nice non-spill way for a child to have a cup during this period um, and learn to be using it independently, you know, instead of a sippy cup. Okay. So um, I just wanted to clarify and then comment. So we prefer straw cups and open cups over sippy cups. Um, and um, you talked about the 12 to 24 month period and talking about sippy cups at a later show that we would love for you to come back and talk okay. to us about that next that next period of development 
and go in a little more to sippy cups, which I'm not a fan of either. (laughs) Okay. uh, And and just for for the parents, just so you don't think, you know, we're coming down on sippy cups, it's really the dental community that has helped us to see that sippy cups leave liquid lying around in the mouth. And as this group of dentists, they're called orthotropic dental professionals, as they really start looking at mouth development, we're seeing that that spout in the mouth inhibits a mature swallowing pattern. I mean, there are a lot of reasons not to use a sippy cup. We can go into it another time. Oh, and another So would you like to... Go ahead. Oh, just one more thing, because it may, I think it's sure. in together. Um, pacifiers. Um, yeah, that's something that's gonna... we haven't addressed. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we could yeah. we could put that all together for another show, passies and sippy cups yeah. and all that Perfect. fun stuff. <laughs> well, because yes. there, right. you know, as a feeding therapist, I wasn't crazy about pacifiers for a long time, but there are good uses for pacifiers in um, the birth to six month period, uh, and and as long as the parents are following the guidelines, we can talk about that another time. Uh, the biggest right. problem with long-term pacifier use is in the research literature, it's been connected to ear infections. Um, so that would be great to talk about later. Um, okay, let's great. just get, get through the <laughs> 9 to 12 months, uh, yep. what you can give your, give your child for, you know, in terms of foods during the 9 to 12 month period. Um, you can give your child soft, cut up, cooked, and raw foods, soft is the key word here. While slowly introducing citrus, um, you can give your child at, between 9 and 12 months cooked fruit and vegetable strips, soft chopped meats, okay, you know, those are things like stewed chicken, casseroles with noodles, pasta, and rice. I mean, you see there's a lot, you know, by 12 months a child can be eating. Bread, toast, crackers, dry cereal. Um, it's funny that uh, Cheerios have been used as a first food. I don't think they're such a good first food at all. I think they can be a choking risk um, because they don't melt down easily. But in the 9 to 12 month period, they're, they're fine. They're perfect. Um, soft cheese strips, cottage cheese, and your baby yogurt comes in during this period. Um, during the first year that we've just talked about, always remember the baby's jaw, lips, and tongue are growing and changing significantly. You may not notice it because you're with your child every day. Um, and much of the growth is really facilitated. I don't want to, you know, put a lot of pressure on the parents listening, but it's really facilitated by what the parent's doing every day by offering good feeding experiences and good mouthing experiences with appropriate toys, and that's a whole nother topic. Um, So let's see, just to summarize here, um, many feeding skills are developed in that 6 to 12-month period, Um, So, and many children aren't getting exposed to those feeding skills because parents just don't know. I mean, I'm not blaming parents. They just don't know. They just don't have the information. And then we end up with our picky eaters, which I've seen a lot. I'm not saying this is the complete reason, but you can imagine. If you haven't been exposed to different food tastes and textures, wouldn't you be a picky eater? And then feeding development continues to uh, go on until 24 months, and by that time, you know, birth to 24 months is considered the critical learning period for feeding. And a lot of people don't know that by 24 months, a child can handle an open cup just like you or me, and they should be able to eat just like you or me by that time. Yeah, that's that's super. And, and these, again, are all things that you address in your book. So if we've, we've answered some questions and we've created probably more, but you have a wonderful, <laughs> yeah. created, uh, you have a wonderful reference that they can go to right now if they needed. And right. Like I, I mean, said, if they want to know a, about sippy cups and pacifiers, it's all in the book. Right, right, yeah. and so um, okay, good. <laughs> so uh-huh. then let's 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 roll along and talking about um, maybe some trouble we might see developmentally. Um, so parents m- might know that there's something okay. that's something up. What are some common problems we might see? Well, the biggest problem is what I've said so far is parents just aren't sure when and how to introduce spoon feeding, cup drinking 
withdraw drinking and the different food textures and tastes. I mean, they're afraid because of choking. And choking is a real issue. Uh, we have an article on our site. We have lots of free information on our site. But one of the articles we have is about the incidence of choking. So parents, you know, you have a real fear about those things and you need good guidance when you're introducing uh, these activities. The other um, one is that parents, again, just don't know when to introduce the food textures and taste. I might be repeating myself. Um, so that those are two things. And then the other common problem is this picky or selective eating issue that seems to come up. Because a lot of kids are fed stage one, stage two uh, baby foods, you know, through the first year. And then they're only used to those textures, and they've only learned those skills in their mouth. And so, um, you know, and that's, if you've ever eaten stage one or stage two food, um, you know, that's is their habit then. And so you've kind of missed this period, six to 12 months, to introduce a lot of the textures and tastes. Okay. So what um, what should parents do if they suspect that there's a problem with the development? Okay. Well, if it's a minor problem, you know, first thing you're going to do is talk to your pediatrician. Um, and then you're going to refer to books like mine and look up the information I mean, mine isn't the only one out there. I used a lot of other resources when I was writing mine. So you may have a book on your shelf. Um, the Dr. Sears Network is a good, Ask Dr. Sears is always a good place to go. Um, what to expect in the first year is not as detailed as mine. Um, but, you know, you have other resources if there's a minor problem. Um, if it's a significant problem where the child is really not growing and thriving, um, you know, I've seen a lot of children who are failure to thrive because they're not eating well. Um, really, the parent needs to seek out a feeding therapist and work with them. Can you explain a little more what that means, failure to thrive? Okay. Okay. Failure to thrive, babies are children who are just not eating enough calories for, to sustain the growth that they need. So they're very low on the growth chart or below the growth chart. Um, in terms of uh, growth, and that's why they're called failure to thrive. They're just not growing as they need to grow in order to stay on the growth chart. Okay. So there are um, there are other allied health professionals that parents might look to. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of helping children feed safely and adequately? Sure. The first place to begin, if you are, if moms are interested in breastfeeding is with a good lactation consultant. And I usually recommend that you find one that is certified by the International Lactation Consultant Association, the ILCA, and these people have initials behind their name, IBCLC, uh, Internationally Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So I highly recommend that for breastfeeding moms that you start there and have contact with them. If you need a feeding therapist, um, usually feeding therapists come from two fields, um, the, the field of speech-language pathology, you know, where we are, and the field of occupational therapy. And both of those fields have some board certification, um, you know, depending on it might be state board certification, it might be uh, national board certification, but the board certifications tend to be in what we call swallowing, which has to do with the actual swallow itself, and not that they wouldn't be good feeding therapists. But most feeding therapists, like myself, have been trained by other feeding therapists. So I'm trained by Suzanne Evans-Morris, um, who co-authored the book Pre-Feeding Skills. That's like our, our main source as a feeding therapist that we often go to, um, and other feeding therapists along the way. And we've learned on the job just by doing feeding therapy with parents day after day. Okay. All right, great. Thank you. So um, that's pretty much the big content for parents. Um, in development and some tips here and there. Now I want to talk a little bit about what you've done with, with your website and your company, um, Ages and Stages, and how that's for families and related professionals. Maybe talk to us about that a little bit. Okay. Well, I had mentioned in the beginning 
that our mission is to provide the best possible feeding speech and mouth development information for families and professionals. So there's a lot of free information on our website. We do a monthly blog, a monthly Q&A. They're not all written by me because we're trying to create a network. Um, on that website, we have a list of networkers um, that's growing. Um, in addition to our subscribers, parents can subscribe to the site. Professionals can subscribe to the site. Nobody will get your information because we don't share that with anyone. But there are also networkers on there where if you're a parent or you're another professional and you're looking for someone in your area, our hope is that we will have people eventually that you'll be able to find so you can work with them. Our goal is to prevent. You know, I've been doing this, like I said, about 35 years, um, so the second half of my career, as I say on my home page, is to prevent feeding speech and mouth development problems when possible. So I feel, just like what we do early intervention, I feel if parents can get the information early about the evidence-based um, for feeding speech and mouth development, then they have a chance of keeping their children on track. And this is true not only for our typical children, especially for our typical children, but it's also true for our children with disabilities. So if you're a parent of a child with a disability who's listening, uh, if you can get on top of these um, areas of development early, you're more likely to keep your children on track. Um, so I think that's what I wanted to say, and our website is www.agesandstages.net. That's www.agesandstages.net. And we have free parent book guides on there. So if you happen to get the book and you're feeling a little overwhelmed because there's a lot of information in it, you just look up on the guide by age or by topic what you need, and it will just take you to those pages. Great. And we have your website um, linked on the show's website today, too, so if parents want to go right there as well, they can get that information. And I, I put a link for your agesandstages.net and uh, for the book as well. Oh, thank you. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so you, you, you have your two books that you mentioned. One is a textbook for professionals. Um, right. And uh, but there's other trainings and things you do. Maybe talk to us a little bit about those projects, because again, I'm learning tremendously as a as a developmental professional, and um, I, I see this as helping parents and caregivers and, and related professionals. Right. Well, in addition to the two books, I've written a number of journal articles, um, both professional journal and popular articles for parents, families, and professionals. And those are all listed on my site. So that if you're looking for something on a topic that's written by me, uh, you can go there and there are a lot of links to those. Um, I'm also teaching a two-day course, um, which I've taught since 1989. Of course, I've updated it. But I, I teach a two-day course for professionals um, that talks about all of these things in detail, um, feeding, speech, and mouth development for professionals. And so I'm doing the next one in Tucson, Arizona for Mealtime Connections, October 24th and 25th, if there are professionals listening who want, would like to go to that. I have had parents attend that, but one of my hopes for the website is that I will have things for parents that are just for parents and that they will be e-courses or videos uh, pay-per-view possibly. We're just really getting started with a lot of exciting ideas for our site um, so that parents can go and, and get the, the information they need without having to come to a two-day course and learn all, all those things. Um, my current project is an e-course on the topic of newborn and infant mouth development, and that should be coming online within the next month. And that's entitled Everything You Need to Know about a baby's mouth for good feeding, speech, and mouth development. And I've created it in such a way that parents can understand. While it has technical information, we're going to offer uh, credits for professionals uh, for that course. It's a two-and-a-half-hour course. I've created it in such a way that parents will understand what I'm talking about. It has okay. lots of videos. Oh, 
has lots of videos and audio, you know, scripted audio that really explains mm-hmm. everything. All right. Yeah, that's that's really super. That's really, really super. I look forward to actually listening to that myself. <laughs> Thank so, you. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so as, as we start to wrap up the show, I always like to have the guests talk about their top five fabulous facts for families. Um, and so what are your fabulous facts for families to provide really safe and healthy and pleasant feeding experiences uh, for their children? Right. I'll do that. I want to just say one thing before I say that. Thank you for having me on the show. And I want the parents and the professionals listening to know that I am just giving you my opinion based on the research I've done. So um, I don't want you to – this is not medical advice. Again, as I said before, parents need to talk to their pediatricians. I want to mention that again um, just to reinforce that idea. So having said that, um, here are the five things that I put down. And you'll, you'll notice that it's a little, um, I'm repeating a little from, or summarizing a little from what we've discussed. Um, introduce, one, introduce one new food taste or texture at a time. And don't be concerned if your child doesn't like the food the first time he or she tastes it. It may take 10 to 15 presentations of a new food before a child begins to show interest in it. Now, if the child's really rejecting it, you know, I mean, you're not going to go forward with that food or you're seeing any kind of uh, adverse reaction like a rash or something, of course you're not going to go forward with that food. You're going to talk to your pediatrician about that food, okay? But you and I, when we taste foods from different cultures, it takes us a number of tastes often in order to start liking that food. So just put yourself in that child's place. They're really moving into a different food culture from breast and bottle feeding when you're introducing foods. The next thing I wanted to uh, mention is don't make negative comments or faces when you're feeding your child, uh, if you can help it. Um, Because Babies understand so much more than you think. I mean, when you uh, look at the sign language research, for example, we know babies are communicating things much earlier than we ever thought they understood. Um, And if the food tastes yummy, say something about that. And, you know, um, you don't have to convince them. You don't have to sell them. But just be honest about the food. And hopefully you won't be making negative comments or faces because you won't be giving kids foods you don't you wouldn't eat. Um, be a good role model and eat something with your child, even if it's just a little snack, um, you know, with the baby. Uh, children are great imitators. We have this research that we're reading about uh, with regard to something called mirror neurons, where children imitate exactly what we do. So, you know, let them see people eat. Um, and give your child a good variety of foods uh, so he or she doesn't get stuck in eating the same foods over and over again. You know, I'll get a picky eater in therapy, which, uh, you know, a kid that will only eat, you know, an older kid that will only eat chicken McNuggets and, you know, French fries. And then when I look at what the family's eating, they're often eating a lot of fast foods. So be really, not that you can't give your kids fast foods, Um, but really look at the variety as you're introducing and look at the variety that you're eating as a family. Um, You know, you can make your own gravy, uh, sorry, baby food, not gravy, (laughs) baby food um, by grinding and storing foods that you had previously for dinner or whatever. So um, you can freeze them in uh, ice cube trays or little containers, whatever, but you don't always have to go to extra effort to make your baby food um, if you're going to start that way. And be informed. This is my last comment. Uh, Be informed and introduce food tastes, textures, and utensils on time if possible. Keep your child on track in feeding development. And thank you for listening to what I have to say today. And thank you. Thank you for sharing all your time and information, Diane. This is really informative. Um, there's a lot of great information. There are a lot of great resources. Um, I hope people go to your website and look at your book. Um, and always, audience, if you have questions that you'd like us to address on the show, you could always email us at info at kids A to Z dot com 
That's info at kidsatoz.com. You could also visit the show's website, which is just kidsatoz.com. You can listen to the shows there, and we have a smart toy store that describes uh, different toys that are good for development. So again, kidsatoz.com, you can visit um, and chat with us there. And Diane, a final thanks to you, and um, that's it for today, everybody. Have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.